Welcome to the Forward 40 Podcast, where we highlight the experiences of 40 women of color on the rise in the nonprofit and social enterprise sectors. This is an ode to our foremothers, a healing circle of our unique experiences, and a bridge of insight and wisdom across generations. for another episode of Forward 40. Very excited to have our guests with us uh, today. We have Amber Gonzalez Vargas, who is the Senior Program Manager at Latino Community Foundation. Welcome, Amber. Hi, Mommy. Super happy to be here. Yes, so happy to have you. And um, for those that are listening, you know, when I connected with Amber, it was just, we really vibed as though we were sisters from another mother because of our our, our journeys <laughs> and, and the nature of the work uh, that we both have been engaged in. You know, she has both an operations and program background. And in addition to that, um, she also is a globe trotter enthusiast. Uh, and she hopes to visit 30 countries by the time she turns 30. So, um, Amber, I definitely have, I haven't made that goal um, <laughs> of 30 countries, but <laughs> I, I get the sense that I definitely need to uh, be more intentional uh, about my travel, but I'm just so happy to have you as one of our Forward 40 guests. Well, thank you. And I really appreciate you even finding me and reaching reaching out to me. Uh, I'm really excited to be a part of this conversation and talking about the different ways that we're all disrupting philanthropy and the work that we're doing in our sector. Beautiful. Um, So, like, your journey to philanthropy uh, was one that you didn't originally think that you were going to be on this path. And more um, particularly, you know, like in this position, uh, but you were able to thankfully, you know, find a way to connect your upbringing with your purpose. Um, can you speak more to kind of like what were the events um, and the networking that led you to where you are right now and how you arrived at the work that you're doing today? Absolutely. More than happy to share. So I think I would be remiss if I didn't say that um, you already heard my name. I'm Amber Gonzalez Vargas. Uh, what you don't know is that I'm the daughter of Marco Gonzalez and Silvia Vargas, two wonderful immigrants from the beautiful country of Peru uh, in South America. And I think um, I always say that I was very fortunate to be born just one year after they got here to the United States because I was born in what I like to think of like a mini Lima, Peru, where people were extremely loving. Culture was extremely at the forefront of the work and of my family and of my values. And so um, when we ended up moving to Stockton, California, uh, in the Central Valley, like for me, um, my identity and my culture was always something that was super connected and super present for me. 
Now, what I what brought me back to the Bay Area, so closer to San Francisco, California, was actually uh, UC Berkeley. So it was college, it was my undergraduate career, and uh, I studied political economy and French with a minor with a minor in global poverty and practice. So tying it back to my globe trotting dreams and trying to reach thirty countries by the time I'm thirty, um, my vision and my goal was always global. Um, and I think a big reason was because my parents were so influential in making me believe that I could do anything that I've set my mind to. And so for me, that meant traveling somewhere else in the world to go to and have an impact. Uh, that being said, a semester before I graduated, there was a big Black Lives Matter protest on my campus. And this for me was a huge sort of wake up and transition point because here I had been, you know, in my classes, uh, really thinking that I needed to go somewhere else to make an impact when I realized that there was a lot going on in my community locally, uh, in Stockton, in California, and in the United States. And that's the moment that I realized I needed to do something here, and I did something now. And so what that sort of led me into was into this, like, flurry of searching for what this next step was going to be. Um, since I hadn't really done too much research on what that was going to be, I went to what I knew, um, and I went online, and I went on LinkedIn, and I started searching um, for things, keywords that seemed to be a right fit, which were diversity and multicultural, and here I was kind of, you know, throwing the dart in the dark, and I found this person, um, at the time, they were the multicultural cultural marketing manager at Google. I saw their face. They looked nice. And I saw their title and I said, wow, that seems really interesting. I want to know what that is. I want to know how she got there. And I just want to have a conversation with her. And so I did a, I sent a cold email and I said, Hey, my name is Amber. I'm about to graduate from UC Berkeley and I would love to hear about how you got to where you are and what it is that you're doing. And, you know, I think this is really a testament to those moments in life when you just got to go for it because she did get back to me. We did have a conversation. And what really stemmed from that was her asking me directly, like, she said, you know what? Like, how can I help you? What do you need me to do? And I said, wow, I need a job. <laughs> and so she's like, here's what we're going to do. She's like, you're going to, like. Look at look at look through Google job opportunities. If there's anything there, I can recommend you. But also do this, you know, follow the things, the organizations, the companies that you're interested in, that seem interesting to you, that are that I'm following on Twitter and on Facebook. And if there's a job opportunity that opens up at one of those places, and it's and I can recommend you, I will. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, great. And what that really sort of unfolded for me and manifested for me was a year later an opportunity came up to become the executive assistant of the new CEO of this place called the Latino Community Foundation. And I remember being, um, seeing the job description. And again, this the job description was asking for somebody with 10 plus years of, this, of experience, which Amber, the recent undergraduate grad, did not have. <laughs> um, but I looked at the responsibilities and I said, I could do that. So I applied. I reached out to this person who had said, you know, she would recommend me if she could. And I got my interview. 
And I walked in that tour and luckily they loved me as much as I loved them. And lo and behold, four years later, I'm still here. I'm now the senior program manager. I have what I like to consider my dream job. But again, it's a testament to just taking those chances, um, but also finding something that speaks to your convictions and to your values that really um, keeps you pushing forward in, in this industry. Because I will say working in philanthropy, working in nonprofits, not necessarily easy. Um, there's a lot, it's, it, gets, it can get really personal and it can get really real a lot of the time. Um, but if it's something that you love, then that's what it's worth. It's so worth it. You know, Amber, I truly appreciate you sharing how um, you took the initiative to one just by basic, you know, words that spoke to you, you know, to then be led to someone's profile and then to take it a step further to, you know, put yourself out there. And even though it didn't show up to be something that was uh, an immediate job offer, you still stay stay in contact with this person and um, remain hopeful uh, throughout the process and also determined uh, to be in a more fulfilling state in your, in your career. So, you know, I truly commend you for that because um, there are people who would have easily either disconnected with that person because it wasn't seemed as something that was so transactional, right? Like they didn't get an immediate, what they perceived an immediate return on that outreach. Um, And you, you persisted. So um, thank, thank you for sharing that. Um, and I'm so happy that, you know, you've been able to grow from an executive assistant, which also sometimes we can't get so caught up in titles, right? Um, and and define ourselves by titles because you saw that, okay, they were saying 10 years and you were like, okay, yep, I have that. I have that. And (laughs) never mind (laughs) that this says executive assistant, or it's asking for this amount of years of experience. I know what I can bring to the work. Um, So to the point of, you know, philanthropy, you know, it is (laughs) for those that are on the program side, right, uh, who are um, cultivating relationships with those that are in philanthropy for the sake of, you know, just sustaining the organization. um, There are philanthropic partners and entities that don't necessarily feel as connected to the work, right? It is seen as um, disconnected and there's been kind of a a movement as of lately to, you know, talk about equity and philanthropy and also this kind of decolonizing uh, wealth within the philanthropic um, space. Now, I guess with that in mind, how is your work at Latino Community Foundation different and and inclusive? And how is the work that you're engaged in about change and not charity? Great question. Thank you so much for seeing that so perfectly. Because I think for me, the immediate, where my mind immediately goes is, is directly back to Traditional philanthropy and the fact that traditional philanthropy in its history and still today has not and does not serve the people. Mm-hmm. And that's something that at the foundation that I'm at is, is something we're very aware of and that we take very seriously. So our mission is to unleash the civic and economic power of Latinos in California. And for us, that's so important in a state like California where you have you know, 54% of school-age children in our state 
that are Latinos. Mm. So when we're just thinking about it, you know, from a big perspective, the work that we're doing is not a Latino issue, it's a California issue. And as it relates to philanthropy, you know, what we're trying to do is really build the next generation of philanthropists. Yeah. We currently have, as one of our programs, the one that I lead, the Latino Giving Circle Network. This is a a network of cross-sector, multi-generational uh, philanthropists that are part of giving circles, that are giving back to the community and giving back specifically to Latino-led nonprofits across the state of California that are actually giving back to the community and investing in Latino leaders that are in this state. For us, that is extremely, um, we're, very, we're extremely mindful of where we're investing our money and also how we're educating and supporting the members that are part of our giving circles. These giving circles, um, this collective giving model has been absolutely transformational and we continue to see that both in our network and across the greater American giving circle movement where we're seeing honestly people giving back and thinking more about this change, not charity perspective. The fact that it's so much more in our case than writing a check for a thousand dollars and giving it back to these nonprofits and giving it together. That's beautiful. And that's great. But it's also about making sure that we're investing our time and our talents and our stories to to giving back. Mm. Because that's really where we start to make a real change. And that's where we start actually collaborating with, with, the, with nonprofit leaders and with the community versus saying this is what you need to do. And we're also being very mindful that money that's being given out by these giving circles is unrestricted grants. Because any money, you'll notice like, at the end of the day, like, what a lot of these organizations need is general operating support. Absolutely. Just some, some, and sometimes, you know, sometimes it's just to to keep their doors open, to keep their lights on, and we need to be able to provide that level of support for our leaders. Correct, correct. Thank you for that. And now, um, just a point of clarification, I guess, for those that are not familiar with giving circles, are they just made up, or the one the one that you're working with, or are they just made up of like high net worth individuals? Um, within the, the state of California or um, are there varying degrees of just kind of um, economic status uh, of those that are a part of the giving circle? Thank you so much for asking. So uh, these giving circles are made up of individuals just like you and me. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's the other thing that we're trying to do with these, with these giving circles is to redefine what a philanthropist means, mm-hmm. right? At the end of the day, like, I, I can honestly tell you that when I, you know, was in high school and undergrad, my mind would immediately go for a philanthropist for somebody like, you know, Bill Gates that mm-hmm. has millions of dollars. But when we think about it with, like, the Latino community or with any minority community, really, like, we've always been philanthropists. Yes. You know, in our case, we talk about, you know, we give back remittances, but we give to churches, you know, we give to each other. When when your aunt, your uncle, your primos, when somebody needs help, the family comes together to support each other. Mm-hmm. And that's really what these giving circles are showing. It's anybody can be a philanthropist. I, I did give the number a little bit earlier that we have, we give out each member a thousand dollars, you know, a year. When you break that down, that's actually only $84 a month. Mm-hmm. 
which is a little bit less than $4 a day, which in most cases, it's, you know, less than your Starbucks coffee or your Pete's coffee or whatever coffee it is that you get a day. And so kind of for us, that's part of the reason why we're also trying to make it easier for folks to be able to give back um, to the community because you don't have to be a millionaire. You don't have to be a billionaire to be a part of this movement. Um, and it's and for us, it really is so much more transformational and powerful when we're having individuals like me and you, um, like our parents, like our cousins that are, that are coming together uh, for a collective purpose and vision to better support the community. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for that. Um, yeah. Wow. Uh, so I, I was reflecting on the conversation that we previously had about, uh, your connection with the CEO, right? Like when you first, um, met her and you said, I said yes to her before I said yes to anyone else. And I know that for a good amount of people, um, sometimes it, mm-hmm. they can see it as a challenge uh, to discern mm-hmm. the culture of a place. And also sure. if the person that is in management is actually mm-hmm. a leader that speaks to their passion and their, their mission in life. Um, how were you able to go about discerning her leadership and you know, mm. figuring out that it was a match for you? Absolutely. Thank you. Um, thank you for that question. Um, I think, and I'll, I'll say this to you and to everyone who's listening, uh, we kind of, we, we, I touched a little bit on this earlier and you did as well. You know, we can't really go by the titles when you're, when you're applying stuff. So a title is going to look very different in every different sector and different companies and different organizations. Um, you know, when I saw executive assistant, I, w- I remember thinking, I was like, okay, this can either go, you know, one of, one of two ways. It can go like devil wears Prada status, like, really <laughs> challenging. Like I'm going to be getting coffee at like five in the morning for someone. I don't know. You know, I, that, that's kind of what my one example was from the media. And then the other, the other side of it was like, okay, but this could also go really well. So what I understand an executive assistant to be was, you know, to be somebody who's like, the second or like the right hand of the CEO mm-hmm. and what a privilege and what an honor to do that. And so for me, when I actually met our CEO, I went through about uh, three or four, four or five rounds of interviews with different folks on the, on the team. And uh, I had my first and my last interview with the CEO. Mm-hmm. And I remember my first interview with her um, sitting, sitting, um, there was two things that stood out to me. The first one was she sat right next to me. She didn't stand, she didn't sit across from me. She sat next to me and she held space for me. And she said, tell me your story. Mm. That was extremely important for me. So I said, okay. And so, you know, I go directly to like, oh, let me tell you, I just graduated from UC Berkeley and I majored in this and this, these are my credentials. And she said, great. But what's your story? Like, what else? Tell me more about you. And I said, okay. So I told her a little bit more about myself. She said a little bit more about herself. Um, but what I really gained in the, in my first interview with her was this, uh, this interaction where she was not only holding space for me, but she was listening to everything I had to share. And she was also uplifting me and my dreams for myself and my goal. Mm-hmm. 
And one of the things that I'll never forget, but she said at the end of the first interview, she was like, okay, she was like, if you work for me, she's like, I'm going to make sure that we get you where you want to be, whatever that looks like here at the foundation or beyond. And I was like, oh, wow. You know, to, to, to hear somebody say that um, and to kind of be a part of that process with her, for me, I remember seeing, like, wow, okay, she's not only going to be my, my boss, my manager. She's going to be my champion. She's going to be my cheerleader. She's going to become a mentor. And that for me meant so much more than whatever it is that I was stepping into in regards to the work. For me, it meant that I was positioning myself in a way that was going to help develop my, my professional uh, self and also my leadership skills. And I can tell you with full honesty that I have gotten that and so much more working under her leadership. Um, that's the reason why I've been promoted twice since I started. And that's the reason why I, I am now able to be speaking with you, um, talking about like this amazing movement and, and giving circle network that we're a part of and the work that my foundation is doing. Uh, it's because we both at that moment said yes to each other. Uh, we said yes to the possibilities and we said yes. Uh, we said yes to our future together, our respective future together. And so I a hundred percent tell you that that is so much more important than anything else. Um, because it's what kept me going in my first year and what has led for my growth. That is amazing. Um, and definitely, you know, I extend, uh, you know, my gratitude to her for investing in you. Um, that is not easy to come by at all. <laughs> as much as um, maybe, you know, younger professionals uh, would hope for that to be the case. You're not always able to identify that leadership Absolutely. style on the job like it may be outside of the job you know that you Absolutely. you know may meet someone uh and network with and have a mentor or a sponsor outside of um but not always easy to come by on the job so it's it's great that you have you were like she invested in you from day one um and mm -hmm. has seriously committed to your development at the at the foundation and beyond that's that's just great yeah. um and hats yeah. off for that yes and if i can just add on i think that's something that um it, it's something that you that you also at least for me as a as a recipient of that love and that investment it's something that i've continued to do with my interns with my fellows with anybody that i've managed like i am i will for the rest of my career be intentionally thinking about how I can invest in then in in my successor or in the next person that's coming after me. Because for me, that is I I've gotten so much from that that I want to make sure that I'm doing the same, that I'm listening as I rise in in my career. Well thank you so much, Amber. We need more of you. <laughs> <laughs> Um, because, you know, whether it's in the philanthropic space or, um, nonprofit space or even private sector, I would even extend it to, 
there tends to be kind of like this um, this feeling of a threat of well, if I invest in you and I impart mm. knowledge and wisdom into you, then you're going to take something from me. So let me covet, mm. you know, this experience and this knowledge and this information for myself. Um, but I, I am hopeful uh, that there are more of, you know, you and the leadership that you up under rising um, and and definitely expanding across all the sectors because we definitely need it for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Putting back the work. Definitely. Yes. Um, so we're coming off the heels of Super Mm -hmm. Tuesday. Um, (laughs) and California has spoken (laughs) to say the least. Uh, and I was just thinking, like, with many more um, states to to come, you know, in this, you know, presidential election year, and also um, states that have a critical mass of Latin descendant uh, people, um, what do you think people should keep in mind as they reflect on the reshaping of this country's demography? Uh, and also when we spoke before you were saying that there was like a headline that has yet to happen you know um what do you think that headline is going to be i think the first thing that i'll say is i I was actually listening to another podcast that was featuring the comedian uh alonso and she said in in part of her interview She's like, you know, people always tend to assume all Latinos are the same, but, you know, we come from different cultures, from different backgrounds. There's those that are born in the country, some of those that are born here, but there's no place that's called, like, Latinolandia. You know, there's no, there's not one country. We're not this hegemonic group, um, diverse, and we're so different. So I think I just want to start off by saying that, um, because I think that just in general, when we're talked about in the political realm, mm-hmm. we're talked about as this one uh, homogenous group <laughs> that we all thinks the same, but yeah. you know, and we're, we're so diverse and we're so different. And I, and I just wanted to kind of call that out in the beginning. Uh, and now to just really answer the rest of your question. Yes, we spoke <laughs> here in, in California. And what we saw was, you know, we had a, a, a larger surge in Latino voters across the state, a larger surge in youth voters as well, mm-hmm. um, which is extremely exciting for us to hear. Uh, the Latino community across this, across this country is one of the fastest growing minority groups. Yeah. And, you know, I think that we need to stop talking about the Latino community as, uh, as one that is, uh, you know, I, one of my biggest, one of my personal biggest frustrations during the debates was that the only time the Latino community was mentioned was during, you know, around the conversation of like immigration and specific mm-hmm. to, you know, families being cages, which is a very critical issue, mm-hmm. right? But at the same time, like our community is also providing and giving a lot to this country. And we are, given that we are in an state specific to California, which is a majority, you know, in quotations, minority state with the Latino community being the biggest, we need to be thinking more about how we're collaborating and uplifting Latino voices and Latino leaders 
in the political realm and across the board and in every sector because at least it relates, at least as it relates to uh, our state, uh, the future of the, the future success of this state right now relies on the future success of Latino families, mm. and that's just a fact based on based on our numbers. Mm-hmm. And it's it should be on every it should be on everybody's top of mind. And for me, when I'm thinking about um, you know that headline that hasn't happened yet for the country, I would say, is the headline that we're seeing, you know, today, that Latino voters, uh, that we're hearing here today in California, that Latino voters showed up, that we organized. I can tell you, we work with some amazing Latino-led nonprofits across across California that are mobilizing youth. I was, we actually just had a civic action day uh, with my foundation, and I, I joined a group called Brown Issues, that was born, you know, at the state's capital in, in Sacramento, California. And we were making voter, um, you know, these, these voter art boards that we were put, that they're going to place at voting at poll centers that are culturally relevant that say like, vota aquí, vote here. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that folks feel like they're welcome at these poll centers. You know, my colleague that was out in the Central Valley with telling us news that there was voter suppression out in the Central Valley, which mm-hmm. here myself having grown up there, uh, yeah, I can tell you it, it happens. You know, like you see it happen, you hear about it happening, and it's extremely unfortunate. But at the end of the day, uh, we're organizing, we're showing up, we are here, and our voice will be heard. And we're going to come out in large numbers because for us, you know, there can't be any other way. There can't. And that there, and you know, is the truth. <laughs> yes. And also what makes, you know, a, a portion of this country uncomfortable. Um, but yes. that's okay. They're just going to have to deal with it. Um, and thank you for also echoing uh, and reminding people that it is not a monolithic group, right? Like you, the issues mm-hmm. that are um, in California and just the makeup of the population in California is not the same as, you know, New York or Florida um, or even Texas for that matter, right? Like um, there are different cultural um Aspects that are brought to the fore in, in terms of civic engagement, in terms of political mm-hmm. mobilization. Um, and it's just not um, one utopia <laughs> uh, amongst the community, but very much so um, it's important for us to be mindful that, yes, um, it is not a, a segment of the, you know, of our society that will be overlooked um and you Mm -hmm. mentioned like minority community i have been reflecting on just language yeah and just language (laughs) that you know it has been um it has been ingrained in a lot of sectors about you know like minority groups okay well what's going to happen when the minority is the majority and then how then are policies within organizations companies um, the government, how are they going to shift? Because the minority groups are not going to be the minority anymore and they're going to be the majority. And then, 
you know, how is that going to play out? And uh, we may not arrive at that <laughs> right now in this segment, but um, also important to point out that just what is currently the minority is not <laughs> going to be the case, you know, 10 to 15 years from now. Not, not at all. Absolutely. And if I can just, I know we're sort of, I think we're nearing the end of our time, um, but I just want to add that everything that I just said, I also, um, I think one of the things that I, I didn't, I haven't mentioned yet is, you know, big picture why I also joined the Latino Community Foundation. Like right now, everything I just said, you know, I'm staying as a proud Latina, a proud Peruana, um, a proud, you know, also American-born person. And I, and I want to say that I genuinely believe and fight and am proud to represent the mission of our organization, which is, again, to unleash the civic and economic power of Latinos in California, because I genuinely believe that if we get it right for Latinos in California, we can get it right for other, you know, minority groups, but other just groups that exist here in in California, because I genuinely believe that our liberations are tied together. Mm. If we get it right for one group, we can get it right for the rest, because we are not the minority anymore. If you add us up all together, we're not the minority. And that's one of the things that, yes, there's people, but we need to start being a little bit more realistic about it, because we cannot continue to live in fear on both ends. Because that is not any any bright future for anybody. Mm-hmm. Uh, we need to be creating spaces where the where our families are thriving, where they're able to pursue the education that they want, where they're able to buy a home, where they're able to feed their children every day, where their kids can go to whatever school they want to go to, just because you know they are able to and not be limited, and and then afterwards be indebted for years to come for the rest of their lives. That's not a sustainable future that we want as. That's not the future that I want for myself or my children. That's not the future that I don't think anybody wants. And so what we're doing, I think both, you know, with my work, your work, I think it really is uh, to create a a future that's good for all of us. Yes. Yes, absolutely. So Amber, um, I mean, you have me all charged up already. Um <laughs> <laughs> per usual. <laughs> oh my goodness, so inspirational. Um, you know that we close with the T affirmation. So wanted to give you the opportunity to close us out with your T affirmation. Great. Thank you so much. So for me, um, I will sort of later work to this that I actually just came back from a a healing sort of ceremony that we had with one of our or with one of our groups called the Roots of Latina Power. Hmm. And one of the things that we did there was we did we actually did a rose healing ceremony which was performed um actually on me by my grandfather when I was very young, when I was six years old. And so to do that again at twenty seven years old, um, with a group of strangers <laughs> was really emotional and really powerful. Uh, I'm sharing all of that just to say that I think, um, for me, my affirmation for everyone that's listening is really, uh, to lead with love, to always lead with, to lead with love, be love, show love, uh, and spread love. 
Well, thank you. Thank you so much, Amber, um, for leading us with love uh, and and your journey of love and perseverance for yourself, your community, um, and the state of California at large. Uh, how can people stay connected to you and also the work of the foundation? Absolutely. Well, if you want to follow me or connect with me via any social media, my handle is the same across all platforms. It's Amber Zita. That's A M B E R S V I Z A. Um, and for the work that we're doing at the foundation, please check us out at www.latinocf.org. And that is really the, uh, where, where you'll find everything, both kind of the events that we have coming up and you'll also find our social media handles there. Beautiful. Thank you so, so much, Amber. Until we connect again, sip, sis, say la, share, and continue to serve.